approach your word as always with empty hearts and hands and asking that you fill us with your truth, with your word, with your life. We have nothing to offer you except what you've already given to us. We give it back to you in the form of our financial giving. We give it back to you in the form of service. We give it back to you in the form of praises and thanksgiving. And we give it back to you in the form of worship and prayer and ask and looking to you for sustenance, no, honoring you, knowing that you're the one that supplies our needs and looking to you to, to see your hand in our lives. We ask that you open our eyes to the fingerprints that you leave in our lives that we'll be able to see your hand in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, it's no surprise to you, we're back in the Gospel of John again. <clears throat> We've had two sermons from John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. We're going to have a third today, and I believe that'll be my last on that particular passage. Um, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 is the story of the wedding feast at Cana. Two weeks ago, we examined God's purpose and miracles, why he does a what we call a manager's override. Why does he override nature and the laws of physics and so forth to do something above and beyond them? And we pointed out that that's like a manager's override in a store where only the manager has the power, the authority to come in and change something that's in the computerized system in the cash register, that they can say, we're going to honor this coupon uh, the way it says, even though the, the cash register doesn't recognize it. It's called a manager's override, and they do it for a purpose. And we saw that God has a purpose in overriding his system of nature. <clears throat> we also looked at what God has to say about marriage, which, honestly, not a whole lot of it's in the Gospel of John chapter 2, but it springboarded from there to what else God says about marriage in Genesis and in Proverbs and in Psalms and so forth. Uh, and most people, when they read John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, are fairly concerned about that business about turning water to wine. It wasn't really wine and so forth like that. So that's what we're going to go ahead and talk about today, finally. I'm going to read through again. I'm reading from the King James. You can follow along whatever translation you like. <clears throat> John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. The third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the, the old English, the word want means to lack. That's why we used to say waste not, want not. It doesn't mean desire not. It means you won't lack. If you don't waste, you won't lack. Um, when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what, I, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour has not yet come. So his mother said to the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. All right, there's a treasure right there for us to uncover. Verse 6, <clears throat> there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. I had to look up the word firkin. It's depending on what history you're looking at. It's either any place between 9 and 11 gallons. So we're going to say 10 gallons is a firkin, which means there's 20 to 30 gallons in each of these water pots. So there were six of them containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus said to them, Fill these water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bore it. 
when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants who drew it drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. <clears throat> but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. <clears throat> we saw two weeks ago that this is the overall purpose of miracles. It glorifies God and it brings faith to his disciples. But we saw more, as we read more of God's word, that every time he did a miracle, uh, I think without exception, there were either unbelieving Jews there or right in the transition between the law and grace, there were Jews there that were believers, but they, they didn't really think that Gentiles had any part of it. And so there were miracles done for their benefit. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we saw that the Jews require miracles and signs that the Greeks seek after wisdom. See, the, the Gentiles want everything to make sense from human wisdom point of view. And the Jews want miraculous signs. <clears throat> However, there's two things in this passage that we haven't talked about. One of them is in, in verse 5, and it says, His mother saith to the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. The other is in verse 9, when it says, But the servants who drew the water knew. The master of the feast <clears throat> didn't know where the, water, where the wine came from, and he called to the bridegroom and said, Everybody serves the good wine first, and every, after everybody's too drunk to know the difference, they bring out the bad stuff. You, you brought the bad stuff la good stuff last. Okay, now, honestly, I wouldn't know the difference. I've, I've learned early on that I couldn't stand the taste of wine uh, or any other kind of alcoholic beverage. And people would say, well, try this, you'll like it. And I'd try it, and i think, no. And by the time I was, oh, I don't know, 27 or 28, I decided, look, I'm a grown-up. I know that I don't like the taste of alcoholic beverages. I'm just going to say no thank you anymore. I, I, I don't like wine. wine. I don't like... Champagne, I, you name it, I don't like it. So, but I'm glad because I like food, and obviously I got a problem there. So, if I liked booze, I'm sure I'd be a drunk. Uh, but one thing that came out in verse five says, "His mother said to the servants, whatsoever he saith, do it." Okay, that's the only command Mary ever gave. <clears throat> now, most of you are aware there are certain groups that elevate Mary to a point of deity that. They pray to her, they, they sing praises to her, they worship her, um, and call her the queen of heaven and so forth, and queen of the angels. And <clears throat> but she was never any of those things. She was a simple girl growing up in a little town in, in a little country, uh, and God chose her to be the mother of Jesus. <clears throat> She didn't see herself as anything special. She knew she needed a savior. We see that in Luke chapter one, where she went to meet with her sister, her cousin Elizabeth, and uh, after Elizabeth gave her spirit-filled address to Mary, uh, Mary responded in turn and came out with what we call the Magnificat, which is, "My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit doth rejoice in." God, my Savior. Mary was a saved sinner, just like you and me. She wasn't deity. She wasn't 
anything more special than the fact that she got some special privileges as the mother of Jesus. She got to watch him grow up. You know, you stop and think about it. She's the one that changed his diapers. Who else can say they changed God's diapers? Huh? You know, I'm not sure that's a privilege. But you see what I'm saying, that she had some special things in her life that nobody else got. And what we find out is that when people obey God, when people accept what he's laid out for them by faith and walk in obedience, there are some special joys that they have that nobody else gets. And we're going to find out how to get those things this morning. <clears throat> Ironically, we get to find out from Mary. She's called the mother of the Lord in, in Scripture, uh, not just by other people, but by the Holy Spirit. Uh, <clears throat> when Elizabeth spoke to her in Luke chapter 1, verses 41 through 45, it says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit when she spoke. Uh, Luke 1, 41 through 45 says, And it came to pass when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was six months pregnant with the man we know as John the Baptist. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Okay, that means that, that what's coming out of her mouth right now is going to be from the Holy Spirit. She spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. That's become part of liturgy in some churches. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. So Mary had believed God. <clears throat> she had obeyed him. And so far, she's just three months pregnant. Mary's, no, she's, no, she's not three months. Elizabeth is six months. Mary is a week, two weeks. <clears throat> and had left to go spend time with Elizabeth. So all these things really are special, but the point is that although Mary experienced some, some real joys, she also experienced great tragedy in her life. She was prophetically warned of that coming grief when she took Jesus to the temple for the first time. An old man, very old man named Simeon met her there, and he said that the child you've got here is going to be the result of his life. It's going to be the rise and fall of many, and it says the sword shall pierce your own soul that she's going to experience terrible grief and watch her own son be crucified. He didn't tell her those words. He said that a sword would pierce her own soul. But see, she had this joy in, in spite of the grief. <clears throat> and in spite of all the blessedness and uniqueness of her position, she was never given any special pull with God. So nobody prays, prayed to Mary in those days, hey, could you get God to do this for me? Obviously, you're closer to him than I. No, they didn't do that. <clears throat> and she had no authority. And she admit, as I said, she admitted her own need for a savior in Luke one forty seven. But when they ran out of wine at this party, she knew that Jesus could do something about it. So she gave him a nudge as his mom said, "Hey, they're out of wine." And his response is kind of odd. He says, "Woman, what have I to do with you? Because my hour has not yet come." In other words, don't push. Okay. I, I'm the one that has the authority to do this. Yes, but it's got to be my choice, not yours. And I don't know if his, what he did after that was just to humor her or if there was a deeper reason. I, we saw some reasons that, that they did this particular miracle. But her response was to turn to the servants 
over whom she and everybody else had authority because they were the bottom of the heap. They were the servants. They had to do what people told them. And she told them, whatsoever he says to you, do it. Right? That's the only command Mary ever gave. <clears throat> now, could that have any application in our lives? Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Does that sound like it could be something you could apply to your own life? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So, where can we hear Jesus speak? Anybody here ever hear Jesus speak? You better. How can you read God's word and not hear him speak? Okay. Jesus is called the living word in the scripture more than once. He's called the word of God in Revelation. He's called the word in uh, John chapter 1. He's called the word in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. It says, by faith we know that the words were framed by the word of God. And in Hebrews chapter 1, God the Father, speaking to God the Son, says, Thou, Lord, in the beginning didst lay the foundation of the, of the earth and the heavens of the works of thine hands. So yes, he is the word of God, and he is the creator. The person that Abraham chatted with when he fed him some beef and bread and butter and milk. I always like to say he gave him a beef sandwich and a glass of milk. That always got Richard kind of riled up because it wasn't a sandwich, but very likely it was a tortilla or what we would call a tortilla. They eat a lot of flatbread in that part of the world. They pat out uh, their dough very thin and bake it by the coals, and that's what they would have for an unleavened bread. <clears throat> but that was, that was Jesus. We've, Abraham figured out it was God standing there face to face and eating his food and telling him what's what. Now, in John chapter 1, verse 18, we see that no man ever saw God face to face, that only the only begotten Son is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. And then Abraham addressed him as the judge of all the earth. And in John chapter 5, verse 22, Jesus says, The Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men may honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father who sent him. Okay, so... Yeah, Jesus has been speaking since Genesis. When he was talking to Abraham, that was him. Now he's at a wedding and a wedding feast in Cana, and I hope it was a big party, because what we're going to find out is he created a whole bunch of wine. And she told those servants, whatever he says, do it. <clears throat> Mary's only command also happens to be the most common command in the Bible. Obey God. Do what he says. If you want life to go well, do what God says. Okay. Now those servants obeyed. They hauled the water, a lot of it. I had to look up the word firkin. It, I'll say it's 10 gallons. It's between 9 and 11 gallons. So each of those jars held between 20 and 30 gallons of water. So we're talking about someplace between 120 and 180 gallons of water. That's a lot of water. Water weighs 8.33 pounds per gallon. So they hired some, they hauled someplace between a half ton and three quarters of a ton of water to fill those jars. I don't know for a fact that the jars didn't have some water in them already. But it doesn't say that Jesus looked in the pot and says, yeah, that's probably enough. No, he didn't. He says, fill those jars. So they started hauling water. And they didn't have nice aluminum buckets back then or plastic buckets. So whatever the jars weighed on top of hauling the water, they were hauling a lot of water, a lot of weight, a lot of obedience there, and they had no idea what he's going to do. She says they're out of wine. He says haul water. 
okay, you're the boss. And they started obeying by faith. They did what he said to do. They hauled a half ton of water. How many servants were there? We're not told. Might have been a bunch. What did the buckets weigh? We don't know. I don't know if they were the old oaken buckets like we used to make in this country and Europe, or if they were water skins that were quite common in, in a dry country, or if they're even the earthenware jars that were common around the Mediterranean. Any of those be heavy. The jars, I think, would be the worst. Uh, we just don't know. All we know is they hauled someplace between a half ton and three quarters of a ton of water and dumped it in. They filled those jars to the brim. They, they obeyed his word until there wasn't anything left to obey. The jars were completely full. And then he says, scoop some of that back out into your wine carafes or whatever they had and take it out to the ruler of the feast. Again, they obeyed by faith. What would you think? If somebody said, scoop some of this water out and take it in there and tell them it's wine. And you're a lowly servant? What kind of trouble do you think you might get into? But they did it. They scooped it out and headed in. And by the time they got there, it was wine. We're not told when it became wine. Not only that, it was high quality wine. As I said, I wouldn't know the difference. I, I don't like wine no matter if it's good, bad, or indifferent. I don't like it. Uh, but I've had a lot of people tell me, well, it wasn't wine, it was grape juice. Jesus would never create alcohol. Really? He did. I mean, he's the creator and it exists. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 3 says he made everything that's been made and there isn't anything that's made that he didn't make. So, yes, he created alcohol and he created the fermentation process. If you want, you can turn to, to Psalm 104, verses 14 and 15. And we can see why he might have done that. And it fits right in with why he would have done it at this party. Like I say, I hope that was a big party because we're talking 120 to 180 gallons of wine when he was done. Psalm 104, verses 14 and 15, it says that he, speaking of God, causes the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the service of man that he may bring forth food out of the earth and wine that makes glad the heart of man, of man and oil to make his face to shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. That was a gift from God. Does it get overused? Yeah, so does the bread, folks. You know, I mean, I like food, and as I said, I've been fighting a problem with excess weight for years and years. I weighed 185 when I got out of high school. I weighed 230 this morning. I'd love to get back down there. I'm not sure that's going to happen. It's, it gets harder and harder to lose weight. But the fact is, people in this country overdo food. We overdo alcohol. We overdo everything we do. Uh, excess is kind of part of the human life. The problem is not the wine. And in case you want to know, if you look this word up, in this particular passage, the word for wine is in Greek is O-I-N-O-S, O-I-N-O-S, and it's the exact same word as over in Ephesians 5.18 where he says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So, I mean, either i got to conclude that he was warning us not to drink grape juice over in Ephesians 5, because you might get drunk, or that this was wine. It was wine. Come on. By the way, the word there in uh, Psalm 104, the Hebrew word yayin, where it says he, that God gave the wine to make men's hearts glad. That's the same word 
when Noah got off the ark and raised the vineyard and made wine and got drunk. And he set a, a, a fine tradition. 3,500 years ago, sailors have been doing that ever since. They, get, they come ashore and they get drunk. Okay, I'm not sure we want to blame that on Noah, but they've been doing it ever since. <clears throat> so the word there is yayim. It is exactly the same word. Yes, it's wine. Deal with it. I got a, a friend, I really respect him, but he absolutely denies that that's wine. He says it's grape juice. Okay, I'm not going to argue with him. It's wine. Okay. Why would he do that? Well, we, we saw there in Psalm 104 why. He did it to make, heart, make glad the hearts of men. And that's what he did at that party. They were having a good time. They were celebrating this marriage. And apparently a lot of people. And he made enough wine to finish out the night and high-quality wine at that. Properly aged or filtered. I don't know what he did. I wouldn't know one from another. <clears throat> Maybe it was champagne. But that's what he made. He made something special. You see, I, I could argue that, well, alcohol is not necessary for life, and water is, so God should have just left it as water. Well, who am I to tell God what to do? Okay. He says he gave wine to make glad the hearts of men. All right? If God chose to give more than is just necessary for survival, we call that grace. He didn't just give what, was, what had to be. We, look, we read the book of Ruth, and we see that Boaz was required by the law to, if any of his servants dropped grain, they couldn't pick it back up. Gleaners, that was for the gleaners. And they couldn't reap the corners of their fields that was left for the, for the gleaners. So Ruth came to him gleaning. She had a right to expect to pick up grain, stalks of heads of wheat or barley or whatever it was, I can't remember now, that the reapers dropped. But what did Boaz tell the reapers? He said, when that young lady is close by you, you drop extra handfuls of stalks of grain so that she gets a good harvest here. I want to make sure she goes home loaded up. That's grace. The law gave what was necessary for survival. Grace made it a special day. When she got home, Naomi said, my goodness, where have you been reaping today? Why? Because grace had been poured out on her. There was more. Jesus didn't call us to be his servants, to have a barren relationship with him. We're to have a, a joyful relationship with him. That's why he can give the command, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in, in Christ Jesus regarding you. I like that passage because it says, this is God's will for you. It makes it personal. <clears throat> but that's what Romans 8, 28 is all about. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Okay, what did Mary tell the servants to do? Whatever he says, do it, right? And they did it. And it worked out special for them. Why? Because I'll tell you what, the next morning they were still slaves. They were still the servants in that house and probably having to pick up all the mess that those partiers had left. Okay. But they had something special they didn't have the day before, and nobody else had it. What was it? The servants that dipped that wine, they knew where it, where it came from. They got to see the water, the half ton of water they had hauled, get turned into wine. Nobody else knew. See, they had something special in their life. If you want some special joys in your life, some secret joys in your life, you want to see God working in your life, what did Mary say to do? Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. See, that's what the key was. 
they obeyed by faith and they got the blessing that was reserved for those that obeyed by faith. Romans 8.28 doesn't say God makes everything to work together for good to everybody. That's not what it says at all. It says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and them that are the called according to his purpose. John chapter 14 verse 21 says, He that hath my words and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. If you want to show me how you, you love me, then do what I tell you. He says, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. I'll show myself to him. I'll demonstrate the reality of Christ in his life. And you'll have that secret joy of seeing God's hand at work in your life. I'm always thrilled to see how God looks out after my wife. There's ways that he looks after her that he doesn't for me. I'm just thrilled to see the gentle hand of God taking care of her. She's pretty scared about driving. So when she goes to merge on the highway, every stinking time, there's this quarter-mile gap in traffic for her to just slide into. For me, it's better speed up, tap the brakes, okay, here we go, and merge. That's fine. But for her, that'd be pretty scary. And God provides this gigantic gap for her to drive into. And by the way, if I'm driving and she's in the car, he does the same thing. When we drove out to wherever it was, Weston, Eastern Oregon there, Weston, the city of Weston, 800 people, in just, just east of uh, Pendleton over there. Uh, anytime we had to merge, there's this great big gap. It was easy, every time. Okay. So these servants obeyed, and they were blessed. They received a special joy that nobody else got. They, were, they got to witness the first miracle. In fact, honestly, they're the only ones that got to witness it. The, the di disciples got to see that it had happened, and so did Mary, but the servants were carrying it when it happened. I don't know if they could smell it when it suddenly turned to a freshly opened pot of wine. Probably. You know, they're, they're carrying water and thinking, here we go. And halfway out there, they get to the ruler of the feast, and they realize, whoa, this is some hot stuff here. They poured him a cup of that stuff to try out before he gave it to the guests. And he said, wow, you saved the best for last. And that's what God does. He saves the best for last. He has blessing for us. He has joy for us. Secret joys. Now, they're secret in the sense that you could share with another believer and they would understand and rejoice with you. But if you tried to share, if those servants tried to tell unbelievers what had happened, they'd go, right. And nobody saw it but you. Interesting. Well, that was nice for you, huh? See, they wouldn't have believed it. We look at it and we rejoice because we know it's the truth. We learn to walk with God. We're looking for his fingerprints in our lives. He has big hands. He leaves his fingerprints everywhere, but you've got to learn to look for them. As we learn to look for God's fingerprints in our lives, we get to have the joy of knowing, yes, God's walking with me. I'm walking with him. John chapter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. But what we found out here is that if you walk with him, you also get the joy of walking with him. By the way, this is nothing new either. Back in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, he says, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly there's obedience to love mercy there's obedience from the heart and to walk humbly with thy god 
Yeah, that's what God requires. Walk with him. Just walk with him. Learn obedience by walking with him. If you want God to turn the water of your survival needs into the joy, the wine of his joy, then learn to walk with him. Jesus reiterated that in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, where he says, this is a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. Now, we see that primarily as we need to get along with each other. But the fact is, what he just said is this is part of your testimony. And if people can see the joy of the Lord leaking out of your existence, see, we're, we're earthen vessels, and we're leaky. And you're either going to leak the joy of the Lord or you're going to leak the bitterness of your own soul as a sinner. God says if we can walk with him and live in that joy, then we'll be leaking out that as our testimony, that the love of God is what's going to be seen by the world around us. So we can see God turning the water of our everyday life into the wine of his joy so we learn to walk with him in faith and obedience. And that's what those household servants did. They hauled a half ton or more of water by faith, and they filled those pots to the brim. And their reward was the secret joy of having seen the first miracle that Jesus did. We can walk in obedience, not knowing why we're doing what we're doing, simply this is what God wants me to do, and experience his joy. And it might be a secret joy that only we can share, or it can be a secret joy in the sense that I can share with other believers, but nobody else is going to get it. Or it might be a very public joy. Jesus frequently does his miracles out in, out in public, but he does it at his choice, not ours. Either way, the joy can be yours if you're willing to patiently walk with him. Let's go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we ask for your mercy as we try to walk with you. We understand that you're, as our Heavenly Father, you look at us kindly. You see us as your precious children. You're pleased with our toddling attempts to walk with you by faith. <clears throat> we want to learn to be obedient. We want to learn to obey by faith. We want to learn to go ahead and haul those, those buckets and buckets and buckets of water that we don't understand why we're having to haul it. But we also understand that we need to see your joy in our lives. We need to have the joy of walking with you. We know that we're not going to see miracles of a big nature all the time, but we do want to see you change our hearts. We want to see the miracle of your joy in our lives, that our mundane existence can be exalted to, to realize the joy that we've got the Holy Spirit living in us, that we've got the entire Trinity living in us, that you are living in us, and that you've filled our lives with something new that it wasn't before, that you've already turned our water into wine at that in that sense and on a daily basis we want to see the evidence of that we ask as we walk in our daily lives that the joy of your your holy spirit will leak out through our lives and bless those around us we ask these things in jesus name amen